Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message by Senior Pastor Chris Valdez. Find a cold, so you may have to bear bear with me and some coughs and shake my hand afterward at your own risk. Uh, just you've been warned. Well, we've we've been looking at Second Timothy, and last week we we started in Second Timothy chapter one, and this morning we're going to be looking at Second Timothy chapter two. But before we get into that, I just want to touch on uh, the context uh, quickly again. Uh, first of all, as believers, uh, is the way that we're looking at this, and the fact that we're called to be disciples, and Paul's final letter in that sense is applicable to all of us, even though he's, this is a personal letter to Timothy. And, and also want us to be reminded that he was writing this letter from prison. And it wasn't just prison, but it, but it was a dungeon. And it was uh, unknown to him at that point, but it was his final prison sentence. This was going to end in his death. But even under those circumstances, Paul found the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to reach out to Timothy to both encourage him and to instruct him. And as we read and study Second Timothy, we as the body of Christ, as disciples of Christ, can also be both encouraged and instructed. In Second Timothy chapter 1, our focus was more on the encouragement of the letter. But this morning in chapter 2, our focus is going to be more on the instruction. And we're going to also we'll look at chapter 3 next week and then finish up in chapter 4 the following week. And I just want to encourage you to take time this week to read chapter 3 ahead, to pray about it, to ask the Holy Spirit what he's speaking to you about it. And I hope some of you had a chance to read chapter 2 in advance of this morning. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to chapter 2, and we'll get there in just a moment, and it'll also be up on the screen. There's far too much to cover in one message, but I do want us to look at the outline of the whole chapter. If you uh, have read it or if you want to continue studying chapter 2, this outline may help you to better understand the whole context of this portion of the letter. Um, And it could fall under a heading called the practical appeal. If you read it, you noticed that Paul referenced a lot of of activities and jobs or... or, um, examples of different professions that relate uh, to the Christian life and to how to be a disciple. And they're very um, relatable to all of us that we would understand them. So uh, this is this is a practical appeal. The first thing that he does is in verses one and two, he shows us the steward. And then in verses three and four, we see the soldier and the athlete in verse five and then the farmer in verses six through seven. In verses 8 through 13, he gives a general appeal. And then we see the workman in verses 14 through 18, the vessel in 19 through 22, and then the servant in 23 through 26. So they're very practical examples that are very relatable that we can easily understand. And that's what Paul was trying to do in this, in this portion of the letter. And as I said before, we won't cover the whole chapter. I've highlighted three portions that we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to look at the steward the general appeal, and the vessel. So we'll start with the steward in verses 1 and 2. Again, if you have your Bible, you can read along. Paul starts out saying, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul starts out this portion 
of the letter with a little bit more encouragement in verse 1. And then he goes on to instruct Timothy to entrust what he has heard to faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. And the thing that I want us to understand first is a steward does not own what they're taking care of. A steward is entrusted with the management or care of something and of someone else's uh, belongings. And so Paul is telling Timothy, you've been entrusted with the gospel. You've been entrusted with this truth, and it's your duty as a steward to entrust it to faithful men and women who will in turn entrust it to others. So Paul's describing discipleship here. In Matthew 28, Jesus instructed us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Paul was working to ensure the future of the church by encouraging Timothy to continue preparing leaders who would be faithful to God's truth. Paul stressed the importance of disciples teaching as they had been taught. So it's clear that we're called to be faithful stewards, to be disciples for Christ. And there's much that we can glean from the rest of chapter 2. Like I said, if you want to stay that more, there's, there's, there's a lot to get out of that. But this morning, our focus is going to be on our call as stewards, as disciples, to do and to be faithful stewards of what we've been entrusted with, and that God's word is more than enough. His word is more than enough to, to, to disciple others, to spread the gospel. There's more power in it than we realize or that we give God credit for. And then finally, that we're called into the kingdom of God for far more than ourselves. And we're going to see that in these two areas of Second Timothy. So uh, the first thing that we'll see is the importance of God's word in, in the general appeal that he makes in verses 8 through 13. You can read along with me or look up at the screen. Starting in verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul says, I am bound. And one day we may find ourselves bound in chains for our belief in the gospel, but the word of God will never be bound. It is powerful. And that word gives Paul the confidence and he's able to encourage Timothy in that confidence from that prison cell. And he says, that's why I can endure everything for the sake of the elect, because the reward is great. He says, if we endure, we will reign. But the penalty is also great. He says, if we deny him, if we deny Christ, he will deny us. But what I really want us to focus on this morning is the Word of God and the fact that the Word is never bound. 
Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I believe we greatly underestimate the power that's in God's word. His word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to transform our lives. Both his written word and his spoken word through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul exhorted Timothy. This was Paul's first letter to Timothy. He said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching To me, the most powerful words a preacher ever speaks is the public reading of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is at work when God's Word is being read aloud. last few years that I've been here, I've encouraged y'all at the beginning of every year to consider uh, finding an application on your computer or your phone where you can hear the Word being read aloud. I think it's been a little over a decade now that I've been using an app called the Daily Audio Bible. And it's just a man who reads the Bible every day, and he reads through the Bible every year. Um, So you get some New Testament, some Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs. And each week he reads from a different version of the Bible, so it even gets you, you know, you see things and hear things differently than maybe you do in your normal study where you're just using one uh, version of the Bible. But... There's many, many uh, applications and, and methods that you could do that. And I just would encourage you, though, to consider that. Start out the new year having the Bible spoken over you. Not just, you, we need to read it, we need to study it, but he just encouraged them to devote themselves to the public reading of Scripture. And we do that every Sunday. And like I said, I, I've shared with you multiple times. Every time I prepare a message when I'm reading and I go to Scripture, to Scripture, to Scripture, and I use a lot of Scripture, and I really don't apologize for that because that's the important word. That's the life. What we can add, anything I can add is less than this. I told my wife uh, this week, I was reading reading a book it's a good book, and he's you know talking about discipleship and different things, and it's a, a Christian pastor. Um, but I confessed to her, I said, you know, when, a lot of times I find myself when I'm reading a book like this, I'm concentrating on what the author has to say, and when they get to a section of scripture, I skim it because I know what that says. I've read that before, and so I'm looking to see what this person thinks about the scripture, and I was like, oh my, God, forgive me. Your word is the power. Your word is the life. Through your Holy Spirit, you tell us the truth that's in this word. This is what we need to be focused on. And he says, publicly read it. And like I said, I've done it literally over 10 years now, every day, hearing the Bible. And it's transformative. It's a miracle. God is doing a miraculous work that we cannot explain when we hear the Bible, when we hear God's word. Even now, when we read his word, the Holy Spirit is at work doing something that we can't explain. He gives us new life. He transforms us. He takes what was dead and makes it alive again. 
in a miraculous way, in a way that only He can, because there's power in His Word. We see the same encouragement in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There's power in the reading of Scripture in gathering together in fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ in the breaking of bread, which is referring to communion and in prayer. But the key word in both of these Scriptures is they were devoted. None of these practices were undertaken in a casual manner. They devoted themselves to them. What does a life devoted to the reading of Scripture and fellowship and communion and prayer look like? Well, I think Paul gives us a glimpse of that in Paul's description of the vessel in verses 19 through 22. Again in 2 Timothy, verse 19, But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Be devoted to those things. Be devoted to His Word, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Verse 19 says, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. A seal was a sign of ownership, a sign of security. In the Roman Empire, they would uh, have a a wax seal and, and they would have a signet ring that was unique to that individual, to that ruler. And they would seal letters so that they would know it hadn't been tampered with, it hadn't been opened by anyone else, it had been sealed by that person and sent to a specific individual. And that's what Paul is saying here, that God has sealed us in him. But the sign of his ownership is that he knows those who are his. And that everyone who names the name of the Lord will depart from iniquity. It's a changed life. It's a transformed life. This goes back to the ongoing discussion we've been having on lordship. If he's our Lord, we're going to obey him. We're going to obey his commands. We're going to follow him. We're going to submit to him. We will flee youthful passions and pursue and devote ourselves to the things that he calls us to. I don't know how many people who claim to be a Christian would actually come out and say what I'm about to say. It's pretty straightforward and blunt. Maybe you might even call it harsh. But the truth is that the way many people live and define their life as a Christian can be described by this statement. 
Our faith is in a Savior who does not save and in a Lord whom we do not serve or submit to. Let me say that again. Our faith is in a Savior who does not save and a Lord whom we don't serve or submit to. Because for most Christians that would call themselves Christians, there's no difference in our lives. We look like everybody else. We live like everybody else. It's about me. It's about what I want, how I want it, when I want it. It's not about what God's calling us to. If we have faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, absolutely every area of our life should be impacted and totally transformed. We're a totally new creation. And if nothing changes, if we still live the same life as the rest of the world, then something's wrong. We're not following this gospel. We're not sticking to this good news. It's not the good news that Paul delivered to Timothy. Before we close this morning, I want to give you two examples that I think puts this in perspective and brings it a little closer to home. And the first is in a misconception that we have, I think, in America about being saved versus becoming a disciple who disciples Francis Chan, he's a pastor in the U.S. in New York now. He tells a story in a book of a young believer that was in his congregation and came to this realization. He says, one young person in the church articulated it so well. He said it felt as if the rules were suddenly changed on him. He explained that for years he was taught that salvation was a free gift And the gospel meant he could have a personal relationship with Jesus. It would be like someone giving him a pair of ice skates. And in excitement, he went to the skating ring and he learned to do all sorts of tricks. And he enjoyed this and did it for years. But now suddenly he was being told that the skates were actually given to him because he was supposed to be part of our hockey team. And we were supposed to be working together to pursue a championship. He wasn't supposed to just twirl around by himself. That's a huge difference. While he did not disagree biblically, it would take time to realign his thinking and lifestyle. Haven't we all seen this? And maybe it's our own personal experience. And I think this is one of the cultural issues that we struggle with in the church in America is everything's about me. Everything revolves around me. What can the church offer me? What can God offer me? Coming to Jesus Christ and accepting Him as my Lord and Savior is all about me and what He can do for me. And we really can't blame the individual. This young man was just going by what he'd been taught. The gospel that he had received. And as he grew in the faith and as the church he was part of realized the error and the way they had presented the gospel to him, the young man went through a sort of crisis. What do you mean it's not all about me and what I want? What do you mean I've been called for a purpose? 
that I'm supposed to walk with brothers and sisters in Christ for a purpose. And it's not even for our purpose. It's for God's purpose. It's all about God. It's all about His mission. It's His calling. We're worshiping Him. When we were worshiping this morning and singing songs, there's people who will say, well, I don't like this song or that song or this style or that style. It's not for us. We're worshiping the Creator, the God of heaven. The One who sent His Son to die for us while we were still in our sin, who loves us and called us to so much more. But we've turned it to, well, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? It's not about me. It's not about you as an individual. It's about God. And that He died for the world and for His kingdom. And He has a purpose for us together as brothers and sisters in Christ to bring Him honor, to bring Him glory, to share His gospel. But this is the perspective that many have come to know as the good news of Jesus Christ. The truth is that it's harder than we've ever imagined or maybe been told. We really have to die to ourselves. We really have to let go of what we want, of, of our flesh, of our lusts, of our sins. It says flee the youthful lusts and the sins. We really have to let go. We really have to die. We really have to be made new and come alive again in Christ. That's really the gospel. And it's good news. And the truth is, it's better than we ever thought. Because then we're really different. We really aren't like everyone else. We really are a new creation. And the world will know the difference. They'll see a difference. The last example I have that I think even makes it clear is for us to think about a gang. You know, like the Crips or the Bloods or, you know, that type of gang. What's the MS-31 or 13? I don't know. MS-13, there you go. I have that one in my notes. Um, but a gang. A, a gang, minus the drugs and the money laundering and whatever else they do, is actually a better example of what the New Testament church was and what God has called the church to be than the church in America. Imagine this, if you will. Two gang members running into each other on the street. And the other one says, hey man. Did you go to gang this week? And the other one says, no, I couldn't make it. My kid had a basketball game. But I'm going to try to make it to gang next week. Even what, I've never been in a gang. But what little I know about gangs, I know that's ludicrous. It's a lifestyle. They're your family. If you've got a brother or sister who's not in the gang, 
You're less related to them than you are the people in the game. It's your whole life. Everything you do is connected to the game. It's not a place you go. It's who you are. It's everything. If you read the New Testament and read it with open eyes and let the Holy Spirit speak to you, that's what the Bible says the church is. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be in unity. We're supposed to be devoted to one another. We're supposed to pray together. We're supposed to eat together and fellowship together, have communion together, pray together, seek God together, do everything together that the world might know by our love that we're different. Gang members are different. They're totally defined by the gang. And God has called us to be totally defined by Jesus Christ. He's to be in us, to be our life, to be everything. That we flee everything of the world. We give everything up. We don't hold on to anything because we're dead. And he brought us to life. And it changes everything. And if it doesn't, then we didn't come to Christ. We came to a different gospel. It's a gospel that's been transformed. It's a gospel that's been twisted. Because this gospel says it changes our life. It transforms us. His word is life. It's like a two-edged sword. And it cuts out everything That's not what it's intended to be for his purpose, his will. It's not about what we want. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants, his purpose, his plan. And he says if we devote ourselves to prayer, if we devote ourselves to the scripture, if we devote ourselves to communion, If we devote ourselves to him, then he comes with power in the Holy Spirit and gives us the grace and the ability. We studied a few weeks ago that it's his power, his strength, his love, his sound mind, so that we can look at every circumstance in our life through his eyes and not say this is good or this is bad, but say, God, what do you see? What are you doing in this? What is your will in this? What are you calling me to? Who am I supposed to disciple? That we would know and hear and respond to him and him alone. That we wouldn't run into each other and say, hey, did you go to church this week? But we could say, hey, have we been the church this week? Are we the church every moment of every day in every area of our life, at our home, in our work? That when we get discouraged, we can call out to a brother or sister and they can pray with us and live life with us. Or that we can be so attuned to the Holy Spirit that he tells us to call someone specifically by name and says, hey, God puts you on my heart. How are things going? Can I pray with you? Can we get together? Can we walk together? Because it's everything.
We're called to be the church. Jesus, the word is enough. His word is enough. In John 12, 32, Jesus said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So all we have to do is lift him up and let him shine through our life. And he will draw all people unto him. It's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's not about us doing the perfect thing, the right thing. It's about him. Him drawing all people to himself. But he does it through us. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? Tell me, Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that is in your word. Lord, that there is power to change our lives, to transform our lives, to take us from being dead in our sins to alive in Christ. And there's enough power to actually make a difference. That you really are a Jesus who saves. You really are a Jesus who transforms and gives us a new life, a transformed life. And it's not the same. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will convict us this morning to be the church. Father, that we would at least be as committed as a gang. But Father, my prayer is that we will be more so. That we'll put the gangs to shame with our unity, with our love, with our devotion to what you have called us to into your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.